0: Uh, This is our fourth in our six-part series, and so today, what I want to share with you may be, it may be the most important thing of the entire series, uh, because we all deal with baggage. We all have it. As Scott mentioned last week, our baggage really is those things that we have attracted into our lives that keep us from living the life that Christ wants us to. Now, some of our baggage, we fully walk into. We know we shouldn't be doing this. We know this is not good for us, but we do it, and we pile it on, and then we carry it. Other times, our baggage is something that is put upon us. As we looked at the story of Joseph, we know that likely Joseph's story up to this point is a result of the baggage he had nothing to do with but was placed on him. Now, you need to remember this part of Scripture is before the Exodus, before the law, and so what we have morally and uh, at this time of humanity is you, they have eaten from the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is why they were Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They have an innate sense of right and wrong, but they did not have the law yet. So they knew things were you know, not right. We probably shouldn't do this, but no clear instruction that says, do not do this in your life. And so we see in their lives a lot of these early patriarchs that are held up as these pillars of faith. We see some really bad choices in their lives. We see families that are just torn apart. We see brothers and sisters that are getting married. And, you know, we, as we looked at both Jacob and Abraham, uh, Abraham is a, such an incredible story because it is God's promise for his future. But at the same time, Abraham literally follows God's command to leave and to go where God sends him. And then he just kind of sends his wife out to protect him from others, who someone else ends up marrying his wife, who is also his sister. And till finally, the guy realizes and says, why have you let me marry your wife and sends her back? And we have an incredible amount of favoritism among children Joseph's dad, Jacob, you'll remember the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob is loved by his mother. Esau is loved by his father. And and Jacob never fully feels the acceptance of his dad. In fact, he cheats his brother out of his birthright, and he cheats his brother out of his blessing. And then he ends up, Esau wants to go kill Jacob. Jacob runs away, ends up coming back. They reconcile, then Jacob... uh, has children, all of his children before Joseph are not with the woman that he loves, Rachel, but with Leah, her sister, which is another just incredible story. If you really dig down into the family dynamics of the Old Testament, you wonder how humanity even survived. I mean, it really is ugly. And so at this point, we have Joseph entering into a situation where his dad never felt loved by his father. And so now we have Jacob favoring Joseph, the youngest and one of the only two children of his true love, Rachel. And so Joseph's brothers, who are the sons of Jacob, but not the sons of Rachel, get very jealous that Joseph's favored. We know he gets a coat of many colors, and dad, you know, is just giving him gifts and saying, this is my favorite, and We also know that Joseph has dreams and he correctly interprets these dreams and his dreams say basically his whole family is going to bow down to him, which in a patriarchal society is not a cool dream to have. The reason is that the dad rules and to say God has told me that even my father will bow down to me does not have good implications whether it was then or whether it's today. And so we end up with brothers with a tremendous amount of baggage, knowing they are not the favored ones, hating Joseph, and eventually faking his death, telling their dad, yeah, your favorite's dead, and selling him off into slavery. Last week, Scott picked up the story that after he was sold into slavery, an amazing thing happens. Even though Joseph had done nothing wrong, he begins to excel in everything he does. He's picked up by a man named Potiphar, an a, a, uh, official in Egypt. And everything he does for Potiphar goes well. He just begins to grow in his stature, and he begins to oversee everything in Potiphar's home until Potiphar's wife starts looking at Joseph and decides, hey, that's a good-looking guy. Potiphar's looking a little old. And she approaches Joseph and wants to sleep with him. Well, he runs, she grabs his coat, and she says, Look what he has done. He has tried to rape me. And so Joseph, no matter what he has done, no matter how much he has excelled, no matter the fact that he didn't do anything wrong, he actually did everything right, is thrown into prison. This is where we pick up Joseph's story today. And so far, what we've talked about and what we've been through together as we've looked at these stories, the first thing I shared with you is that we do all have baggage. We have to recognize it and we have to own it. We all have baggage. Now, if you are sitting there in the seat, living your life, believing I don't have baggage, you are fooling yourself. The second week, we looked at the reality that our unchecked baggage has destructive consequences. And that particular week, we looked at the brothers of Joseph because they did not deal with their anger and jealousy. They sold him into slavery and faked his death. And so when we don't deal with our baggage, it has disastrous consequences. And that, it doesn't matter whether you walked into your baggage open-eyed and willingly or if someone put that on you. You were mistreated. Maybe your parents didn't take care of you the way they should have. Maybe they didn't show you love. Maybe you didn't feel loved. Maybe you've been through some level of abuse in your life and you have carried that through your life. You've never been able to truly get over it. It has changed you. Sometimes that baggage is placed on us. But when we don't confront it and deal with it, it will not only follow us, but it can have destructive consequences. And one of the things I appreciate that Scott shared last week is that when it comes to our baggage, sometimes what we end up doing is seeing someone with baggage. And rather than actually dealing with it, we begin to help them carry their baggage with them. And we can end up getting in a cycle with people and unhealthy lifestyles that we're helping them carry their baggage, not dealing with it, and we become enablers at that point. So it can be incredibly difficult if you have chosen to invest in others that have baggage in their lives to understand how do I truly help you and not just continue to help you carry your bags for you. So our unchecked baggage can have terribly destructive consequences. And last week what Scott shared is that when we are truly neck deep in our baggage, no matter where it's come from, our best choice is simply to obey God's word. It's simply to follow through with what God has instructed us. And he knew, even though he was thrown into prison, Joseph had done the right thing. Now, in the timeline of Joseph's life, what we know so far is that Joseph was approximately 17 whenever he was sold into slavery. Now We don't really know when this period that we're going to be talking about happens, except if we jump ahead, then we will find that around the time that he is 30, Joseph becomes the ruler of all Egypt. Now, what we're going to talk about today are the two to three years before that period. So at the point that he's placed into Potiphar's home, and then he is placed into prison to what we're going to talk about today is somewhere about a 10-year period. This has been going on for 10 years. Here's what I want you to do as I share with you today because I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of jump through this, this part of the story and then I've got some things I just want to share with you. And I've got some things I want to share with you from my own life, of my own struggles, and some of the ways God has helped me to deal with some baggage in my own life. So before we do that, I want you to recognize and I want you to ask the question because as we look at Joseph, 10 years, falsely sold into slavery, falsely imprisoned, what kind of mindset does he have about the world and about God? 10 years. Now, if you've ever been through a difficult period of your life, If you've ever been through a time of depression or despair, if you've ever been through a time when things are not going well or not what you hoped, if you are living a life right now that when you were younger you thought, this is not the way I will be at this age, but I am. If you have ever been through any of those thoughts, if you have questioned, why is my life what it is? Why can't I get a break? Why can't I just be like whoever? Then I want to share with you today maybe some ways God may be working in your life and maybe some steps that you can take as he does work behind the scenes for you. So let's pick up our story in Genesis chapter 40. Uh, we're literally going to go through two chapters today, and I'm going to read, just basically read most of this for you. So if you're already familiar with it, indulge me. If you're not, here you go. Verse 40, verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 1 says, Sometime after this, after he's thrown into prison for being accused by Potiphar's wife, The cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Now, the reason these two people are significant are these are two of the most important people for the Pharaoh's staff, period. A cupbearer was not just someone who brought a drink to the Pharaoh. The cupbearer oftentimes was the one who kind of ran the house. He and the baker were two of the most trusted officials that the Pharaoh would have because they would prov- provide, prepare, and give him his food. Now, what they would also do before the Pharaoh would eat or drink of the things that were brought to him, you, you find when you are the top official in, in, in government, people don't always like you. We find that sometimes today even. Isn't that amazing? But in this time, a very popular way to change governments was to poison whoever was the reigning monarch. In this scenario, it's the pharaoh, and it was the job of the cupbearer and the baker to make sure that the pharaoh stayed alive. So you always want to stay on the good side of the guy who you are charged with keeping alive. We don't really know what happened But something has happened and the two of them get on the wrong side of Pharaoh and he throws them in prison. The cupbearer not only brings him his cup, but would actually drink before the Pharaoh would drink. The baker, likewise, would not only make the food, but would bring it, making sure that the food was not going to hurt the Pharaoh. Now, if a Pharaoh is not certain that you're loyal or that you're going to do your job correctly, he's worried about his own life. And so he has For whatever reason, he is worried that the service that they're providing him is not going to take care of him. They are thrown in prison. Amazingly, Joseph is already here into the same place. Now, prison then and prison now is not necessarily the same thing. In prison, a higher status gets you a higher status in prison. If you have a high status of the government and you're thrown in prison, you get a higher status in prison as well. Joseph had no status. He had a low status in prison. So that's where we pick up where this part of the story is in his life. The captain of the guard, in verse 4, appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. In other words, Joseph had to serve the cupbearer and the baker, he was their servant in prison. They weren't all equal, they weren't all just in trouble. But instead, he was at a place of serving likely the next two highest officials in Pharaoh's cabinet. That's where we pick up in Joseph's story. And not only is this happened after the incident with Potiphar's wife, they are all there together for some time. So he's been in prison, he has no hope of anything in his life. Everything that is good is gone, everything that was promised is gone. And this is where we find Joseph. Verse 5. One night, they both, the cupbearer and baker, of the king of Egypt, who were, con- who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your fa- faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Verse 14, remember this, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. In other words, I've just done you a favor. You've got good things happening. Help me now that I have helped you. Verse 15, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, do you ever do this? Man, God did something for them. Maybe he'll do something for me too. He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in my uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. At this point, you look at Joseph's story and it's like, come on. Can this guy not literally get a break in anything? He's done this miraculous thing for the cupbearer. He said, remember me, get me out of here. And the cupbearer, like so many of us do, whenever others have helped us, has moved on with his life and forgets what they have done. Now, the reason I share this with you, and the reason this is such an important part of the story, is because in our lives we have... Been fooled into the notion that if we love God and if God loves us, everything will work out the way we want it to. You and I have been fooled into this. We have been fooled into this through our media, we have been fooled into this through our churches. We have been fooled into this because we have placed hope in the gospel that says God wants to give me anything I want instead of the gospel that says I am a wretched sinner that needs to be saved. I repent of my sins just to know God through the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. And in these lives, Christians are struggling because we ask God, please rescue me from the despair that I'm in. And when he doesn't, It is very easy to get angry with God. How many times have you been in a circumstance and you've thought, this is too much. I need help dealing with this. Only to find that the circumstance doesn't change. Has anyone ever had to struggle through that? I do. Oftentimes I'll pray and say, God, I really need you to do something here. And yet nothing changes. As we look through some of the other folks in Scripture, what we find is that they often pray a prayer. God, I need you to deliver me from this problem. And either God doesn't deliver them or He doesn't deliver them the way that they ask. It happens often. We look at the story of Paul. Paul said, I, I have this thorn in my flesh and I have pleaded with God to take it away. And it is never taken away. Our response in these moments can be a response of anger and blame, or it can be a response of faith and obedience. Those are our two responses. There really isn't any other response than those two. I am either going to be angry and I'm going to blame whoever is responsible for my lot in life, who is taking away what I was expecting for my life, or I'm going to respond with faith and obedience that I still belong to God and He still loves me and He still has a plan for my life you and I are human. I'm human. I struggle. I want things to go well. I want things to be easy. I want to relax on the beach, and I want to, you know, sip drinks, and I want to watch the tide come in, and I want to look at my bank out and see it grow without me having to do anything at all. I want all those things, but unfortunately, there's not many of us that have that life. Often we struggle because of things that we have not done, nothing that we cause but have caused upon us. At work, maybe we got blamed for something that we didn't do and that someone else did, but they got off and we didn't. At home, sometimes our lives are not exactly what we thought they would be or hoped they would be. Whenever we're children, we dream about what our world is going to be like, we dream about what our families will be like, what our jobs will be like, what our lifestyles will be like, but very few people actually realize what they thought life would be like when they were a child. It's really incredible how much we think life is going to be so easy and wonderful and grand, only to realize that that is not the way that the world works. For Joseph, he's not done anything wrong. He's done his job very well. He not only prospered Potiphar's house, but he protected the things that Potiphar told him to stay away from and still got in trouble and went to prison. The cupbearer and the baker came to him with a dream, and he said, I can interpret, and he correctly interpreted the dream. He heard from God, and he responded well, and he said, look, I've just given you hope within your life. Remember me, and they have forgotten him. And still he sits in prison. Still he sits. See, the truth is that we often feel abandoned by God. Joseph is very easy to look at him as a victim, and it really is amazing how many people today love to feel like a victim. Somehow we can escape dealing with our problems by blaming others and saying, woe is me, look how bad things are for me. If that's not you, you know somebody that that applies to. We struggle with this idea of being a victim. My question to you is this. Do you ever feel abandoned by God? Do you ever feel that he's not listening? He's not working? He's not active? Do you ever feel that your prayers go unanswered, unheard? How do you cope in those moments? See, as a follower of Jesus, one thing that it took me a while to learn, but I eventually learned, was that God is not only going to allow me to go through difficult times, there are times that God is going to open the door for me and let me walk right in. Now, if your theology is that God loves you, and if you love God and have enough faith, God's going to make your life just perfect, then that's going to really mess with you when God opens the door for some real heartache. How do you cope in those moments When you are subjected or your life takes a turn that you do not want to take. Do you run towards God? Or do you run away from Him? A lot of people today are running away from God. A lot of times what we end up doing is we try to escape or we try to medicate our pain. And we'll do that through throwing ourselves in our work, throwing ourselves in our hobbies. We try to escape through alcohol or drugs or we try to escape through entertainment, which is a growing addiction for people today. We try to medicate through sex or pornography because it allows us to stop thinking about the things that bother us and completely contain our minds in something else, even when that something else is unhealthy. We run from dealing with what we are having to cope with. Many times we play the blame game, it's always somebody else's fault. And yet I've never seen somebody deal with their baggage by blaming someone else. I've seen a lot of people try and they stay stuck. When we blame other people for the place we are in life, we never release that baggage. It's when we're in prison that we have the greatest opportunity to have faith in God it's truly when we're in prison when we feel like life is not going the way it should when we are thrown a curveball that we're not prepared for whenever we are hurting and we are crying out for relief it is in those moments that we are most capable of experiencing and expressing faith in God when we have faith when everything is going well that is not faith But when things aren't going well, that is when our faith is exercised. That's when our faith changes. Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? There are moments that I believe that with my head, but I do not believe that with my heart. God, I believe. You said you're going to make all these things work out for my good, but I just wrecked our only car. The family that lives right up the street from us, as you drove in, you probably saw their house burned and both of their cars burned up this week. And uh, they have started a GoFundMe" page in which they have nothing. They have no they're renters, they have no insurance. They have no way to replace their cars, no way to replace their possessions, and they have great sickness within their house. and so they just do not have a lot of finances. For them, this is a moment to ask, can God work this for good? What in your life right now are you questioning whether God can really work this for good or not? There's something in all of us. Maybe it's buried. Maybe it's something you've carried since you were a child. Maybe it's buried deep, but there's something in all of us that we question whether God is truly working. But here's what we have to hear from Joseph's story and we have to see because we can see the rest of his story, not just right where we are now, is that God is working even when you feel abandoned. In your life right now, at this moment, God is at work. What's going on at work that you want to give up, God is at work. What's going on in your family and you're frustrated, God is at work. Whenever you look at your life where you thought you would be at this stage of your life, God is at work. Now, whether we accept that work and whether we work with God is a whole nother question. Many times there are these times in, in our own prisons that we feel not only abandoned, but what God is doing is preparing us. God is moving pieces around the table to prepare us for what's about to happen. And His ultimate plan is something greater than our momentary comfort. For Joseph, it's easy to look at his story and say, yeah, God's got something planned for him. Can you approach your own life with that same faith, not seeing what God's doing quite yet? See, many of us, we struggle. And God never intended for us to struggle. He intended for us to approach him in faith. Let's go back to Genesis 41, verse 1. This is what happens next. It starts off after two whole years. So this scenario happens two years after he interprets for the cupbearer, and the cupbearer forgets him. Two more years, he goes on in prison after this. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows and Pharaoh awoke and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time and behold seven ears of grain plump and good were growing on one stalk and behold after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears and Pharaoh awoke and behold it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there, there were none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. Or some of your translations may say, I remember what I forgot to do today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there was no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you, are, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That tells you where Joseph's head is even after all of this time in prison and in slavery. Verse 17 Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile, fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor, very ugly, and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. When they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now, at this point, Joseph could have bargained. I've got something you want. Joseph could have said, no, you've kept me in prison for no reason. I was falsely accused. I'm not telling you your dream. There's a lot of things that Joseph could have done, but instead, this is what he did. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Joseph's pretty smart. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of their produce to the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Now, Joseph is clearly a talented guy. Whenever he does something, he does it well. God has gifted him with the ability to interpret dreams, which had great value at this time in the world, because God spoke often in dreams. And if you did not interpret correctly, you often were killed because you gave an incorrect interpretation and you were a false prophet. The fact that Joseph could do this meant that God was with him. The fact that God was able to show him in the interpretation at this time in his life shows that he had not turned his back on God. Because when we turn our backs on God, it is not that God abandons us, but we are not listening to what God is telling us once we have done that. So he has continued in his faith. Towards God, He has continued to stay strong and his mind continues to be sharp to the point where he says this is what it means. He knows that's going to have an impact on Pharaoh. Now, here's what you need to do. This is how you need to fix it. And now I need to put somebody in charge to fix it like me. <laughs> and that's where Joseph finds himself. Now, what we know through Joseph's story is that Pharaoh's going to do that. And now all the things that Joseph has been through are worth it because Joseph's about to be put over all the land of Pharaoh. Now, if you knew that your story was going to be like Joseph's, it would be much easier to sit in prison waiting for your deliverance. But unfortunately, God has not given us the end of our stories quite yet. What would also be great is that if God said, now, if you will trust me, this will happen. If you don't trust me, this will happen. If we lived our lives with that kind of knowledge, we would always trust God. But our trust would be in the deliverance of what we already know is going to happen, not our trust in a God who loves us and our faith in him to work for our good even when we can't see it. I think this is an important part of the story Because I do know that we all struggle within lies. I want to tell you just a little bit about where I've been over the last few months and what God has done in me. About 18 months ago, and you may be aware of this, you may not be aware of this, but 18 months ago, I was at a point in my life where things were going really well. Church was going well, we were getting ready for a move, the, uh, I also have a business because we can't quite make it on what you know I make here at the church, and so I also had a business. The business was doing really well. People were coming out of the woodworks to work, and uh, I had plenty of work to do. So literally, if you think having one full-time job is difficult, try having two. What I also found out now that I was meeting more and having more relationships with people in the business world is that nonprofits really like people with skills. And if you have skills, nonprofits will ask you to be on their board of directors. And so I began getting invitations to be on board of directors for people, which for me felt awesome. At the same time, our family was, uh, you know, our kids are growing, our kids are getting busy. And we also began to believe that God was telling us, I need you. Or I want you to begin a new ministry to families in crisis and to children in crisis. And so we began talking about becoming foster parents. Eighteen months ago, with church going well, with business going well, with invitations to be on boards, I literally began to pray for God to just let me stop it all. I don't know why I'm getting emotional. This was not, I was not emotional about this, but I began to pray and say, God, in the midst of all of the success, I can't do it. I cannot do this. Our hours were long. My health was declining. I went to the doctor. I had gained about 30 pounds, been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, I stopped started skipping my workouts. I started skipping my quiet times. And literally I worked from the moment I got up to the moment I went to bed. But God was blessing, right? Financially things were good. Business things were good. Church things were good. But me I was literally falling apart. And we went skiing Um, A year ago in January, we go skiing. It's going to be a wonderful time. We go down. The second time down the slope, I get to the very bottom, the bottom of the slope. I fall, (laughs) and I rip my calf muscle. literally almost ripped it in two. Not quite, almost ripped it in two. Deidre and the kids come skiing down, no big deal. Where's dad? I don't know. They carted him off somewhere, you know, and here I am going off with, you know, my uh, ego just in the trash. So my health is doing bad. I, I go to a, a good friend of mine who's just a top physician here in town, and, and uh, he helped me with my calf. He got me what I needed to do, and he just he began talking to me about my health, and I began to share with him what was going on. I began to share the stress I was dealing with and began to share you know, what my other doctors were telling me. And he, he told me this. He said, Mark, he said, you have to make a change. He said, you are on the cusp of a cascade of physical failures that your life is about, you're going to lose your life way too young if you don't fix this. And the truth that I learned in that moment is that our prisons don't always have bars. Now, some of you can, you know, wholeheartedly relate to that. Our prisons don't always have, have bars. Deidre has always been so supportive and Uh, You know, we would talk about how things were going, and, you know, we were just so busy that what we would do is we would just keep going. I mean, we would just keep going. We would just keep doing what we're doing. We made a decision early on in our lives that we are going to invest in other people, whether it's in ministry, whether it's outside of ministry. We believe because of our relationship with God, he has not called us to just go out and live Deidre Mark's life. We're supposed to live our lives helping others in whatever way we can. There are other people that can do a lot better job than we can. But what we do have, we are going to give that to others. And when you make that choice, it takes away a lot of the things that you think life is supposed to be about. You end up not having a whole lot of free time. You end up not having a whole lot of hobbies. And you end up not spending as much time planning fun stuff as you do find yourself serving and working. Now, I don't want to take this into a weird place about how you're supposed to serve until you die. Uh, You're supposed to work yourself into a ground, but that was kind of where I was trying to do everything and make everything work So here's what I did Let me get jump ahead to the story that the last Few months of my life have probably been the best few months of my life in a very long time And god began to speak to me in that those moments 18 months ago and he urged me to make some changes Because I knew I was not going to make it. But I had a lot of life left to live, and I had a lot to do. Sometimes, when you're in the prison, when we're praying and crying out for God to change our circumstances, God does not respond by changing your circumstances, He responds by changing you. Here I am, 18 months later, my circumstances have not changed. Some of them have, and I'll share that in just a minute. My circumstances have not changed. But how I live my life has changed. And what God is doing in me right now is one of the most exciting things I have experienced in a very, very long time. So, 18 months ago, all this happens. I recognize I'm in bad shape. I feel like I'm about 70 years old. And I made two crucial decisions. 18 months ago. Decision number one was I would no longer skip my quiet time, no matter what urgent thing I had to do. I would no longer skip my quiet time. That was always going to be a part of my life. Number two, I would no longer skip my visits to the gym. And so I didn't. For a year, I didn't. I went in my boot and I went and everybody looked at me like, what is that dude doing here? He needs to be like in a nursing home somewhere. And, uh, And so I did that for the next for the next year. This year, I tweaked those two disciplines, and I added a third discipline. Because what had begun to happen to me was the stress was becoming so overwhelming that I began to exercise what most of us exercise: escape mechanisms. I began to just try to escape the stress. Now, nothing salacious. I didn't have an affair. You know, I didn't get embroiled in pornography. I didn't start drinking or doing drugs. You know, I didn't do any of those things. My escape was entertainment. I mean, I would watch any movie I could watch. I'd watch any TV show I could watch. I mean, I would just soak in social media. I would just go through and I would just for hours scour all these lives. Your lives are all better than mine. My life's falling apart, but you guys are perfect. Look at those cookies they made. It's better than Pinterest. I mean, good grief. And I would scour looking at all your lives and think, I'm such a failure. How can I be a pastor? Such a failure. So I began to escape through entertainment rather than dealing with the real problems. So beginning of this year, I exercised two additional disciplines, or I tweaked those two and I added a third. The first one I tweaked, that instead of just not skipping my quiet time every week, I committed I will be an hour to an hour and a half in God's Word every day. Every day. Whether I don't want to, whether I want to, an hour hour to an hour and a half every day I'm going to be in God's Word, which is much easier than you think if you use the YouVersion app. Sometimes I read, sometimes I let it read to me. I mean, it's wonderful. The second thing I did was I changed my diet and I cut, most all carbs, and most all processed foods out of my diet, and I've dropped about 25 pounds since the first of the year. You can clap if you want to. And I will be outside just a little bit with selling my diet plan. It's $29.95 for the first month, $99.95 every month after that. And I changed the way I ate because my problem was not what God had gotten me into my problem was I was not living a life that could sustain what he was calling me to. And so what I ended up doing was changing my diet. I increased the intensity of my workouts. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm still old, and so things don't work the way they used to. But I literally am almost back to where I was when I was in college, not weight-wise. I mean, I don't look great, but you know, physically, athletically, I'm almost back to where I was in college. 18 months ago, I felt like I had no hope. I had nowhere to go. I have to keep doing this day after day. Now, you don't know this because uh, I also have a, a big male ego. <laughs> so I hold this stuff in, and I don't share this stuff. There are a few people that I just said, guys, I just need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with this. I shared with Deidre. She really knew that, you know. But what often happens is, We don't even recognize, because honestly, I didn't even recognize how unhealthy all of this was until I started writing this week's sermon. And as I began to write it out, I was like, man, you are really screwed up. So those were the the two that I tweaked. The third one was, began to cut entertainment out. Now, I still love entertainment. Uh, We went to see Kong this week. It was awesome. You should go see it. Um, The girls went to go see Beauty and the Beast. I will not be at Beauty and the Beast, but I don't love entertainment that much. But um, I began replacing the things that I was conditioning myself with. I listened to a lot more sermons. This week I listened to Scott's sermon. I began just cutting out social, more and more social media. You'll notice Mark doesn't post much anymore. I began to spend more and more time with God. Now, what these cumulative changes have done for me, I'm still really busy. I did also start, start saying no to, to, to boards because I just couldn't keep up. It felt good. My ego felt good. I felt valuable. I felt like people loved me and wanted me. But I—I couldn't. that was not what God called me to. And so I started giving those up. What happened in that period of time was really an amazing thing because for me, I felt like I was in prison. Some of you guys have been in jail or like Mark, you have no idea. I I recognize that. But for me, I felt like I was in prison. By immersing myself in God's word, by immersing myself in what God wanted to say to me, by listening to him more and more, by not neglecting my quiet time, I began to experience God more and more and more again like I hadn't in a while. By getting my body healthy, it's amazing. If you're not healthy, I encourage you to figure out how to do it. Now, I'm a long ways from being healthy. I mean, but I am on track by the end of this year to be the healthiest I've ever been in my life. Now, and I'm not legalistic because at Disney, I ate stuff I shouldn't have eaten. I gained about four pounds. I really worked hard since we got back. So I could say I've lost four pounds since we got back. I didn't. I lost three and a half. But I'm on track. I was snoring every night. I was keeping Deidre awake. She literally was body slamming me in the middle of the night to get me to stop snoring. She says she nudges. She doesn't nudge. She literally would jump up off the bed onto me and, and body slam me. Ask her. She'll deny it, but it is true. I, 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 I barely snore. It means I sleep better. Instead of waking up early in the morning through late at night, I go to bed early. I get eight hours of sleep every night. And my energy level came back. Now, stress doesn't affect me the way it once did. Anxiety doesn't affect me the way it once did because my body's more capable of dealing with it. Now, my answer to you to get to your next step with God is not to go get an exercise program. Now, that may be part of some of your plans. But some of you guys, I don't know, some of you guys, you put me to shame, you know, how fit you are. That's not my point. My point is is that God may be directing you to take a step while he's working behind the scenes. Joseph had to stay sharp. Joseph had to continue to work. Joseph had to continue to have faith in God. And all of these things, I, I, I just continued... For so long to pray for God to rescue me from drowning in the successful life I was living. To now, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Because ultimately, for Deidre and I, what is crucial to us is that we are able until the moment that we die to follow when God calls. If God moves us, we want to be capable of moving. We did continue on with the fostering classes. It has been a wonderful experience for our family. If you are even thinking of, doing, of, of caring for families in crisis, I would love to talk with you. It is a wonderful thing for the family. It is a wonderful thing for children. and It is a wonderful thing for your own family. It is trying. It is difficult. It takes a lot of time and effort. But it is wonderful to see what God can do in these circumstances. I always want to be at the place where I can move when God says to move. And so for me, these three things are things that have helped me to do that. Now, are these the only three things I need to do? No. But here's the thing with disciplines. If I try to do everything, like one of the next disciplines I think are coming my way, my day starts Monday through Saturday at 6 in the morning. Every week, it starts at 6 in the morning. I'm either taking the kids to school or on Saturdays I'm getting out so I can hit the gym and then I can work on my sermon before the kids are ready to go do stuff and Deidre are ready to go out and do stuff. On Sunday mornings, my day starts at 5 in the morning because this morning I had my quiet time, spent time at God's Word, I went to the gym, and here I am with you now. Disciplines only work when you do them regularly. And every time I keep a discipline, it actually helps me keep all my other ones. If I skip a workout, it's easier to skip my quiet time. If I skip my quiet time, it's easier to skip my workout. If I start vegging again, watching TV, it's easy for me to stay there rather than to keep moving, which is what God has called me to. But if I add too many, I'll become overwhelmed and I'll throw the whole thing off. And that's often what ends up happening with New Year's resolutions or trying to to have disciplines within your life is we try to do too much, and it's not sustainable. It takes a lot of energy to start a new discipline. But once that discipline becomes a habit, it doesn't take much energy, and you can use that energy then for a new discipline. I think my next one is I need to start my day earlier, but I'm not ready. If I try to start my day any earlier right now, then I'll throw the whole thing off. I'll stop it all. And that's where God will move me. There are a whole list of other disciplines that I need to take. And as I, as I, I get these under my belt, I'll continue to take more. One of the answers that I believe, and Scott said this last week, and I, I, just, I don't want to in any way contradict because he is absolutely right. We have to lean on God and not lean on ourselves to get through our baggage. But there are times that God expects you to take some steps in dealing with your own junk. And if you wait for God to fix it for you, it will never get fixed, and you will eventually blame him or say he's not capable. When all along, he was saying, Mark, get in the gym, get in my word, and do this regularly. Change your diet, and you'll start feeling more capable. You'll have more energy. You'll be able to go the distance. I can't do that for you. You have to do that. And so after 18 months, I, I really am experiencing the benefit of, of these disciplines, and I can't wait to see what additional disciplines down the road will continue to do. Now, some of these aren't new. I've worked out my entire life. I've been quiet times my well, my entire life. I've been a Christian which since I was a teenager. But it's easy to get off of the things that we know are vital for us. I mean, I need to finish up. Um. A lot of times we do try to escape, and I knew that wasn't the answer. I do actually believe the sermons I teach. I don't always do great at applying them, but you know, I knew that this was the direction I needed to take. God is not only calling us, He's calling you to invest a large amount of your time in others. I really believe that the gospel is true. I believe the gospel is real. I believe that I'm going to spend an eternity with God in heaven. And I believe that his call upon my life is to work myself until I die. I don't mean I'm going to work myself into the ground, but I think God is, he is not planning for me to have a rich retirement where I sit around and do nothing. I mean, maybe that's going to happen, but I'm looking at my portfolio. That's not going to happen. God has called us to work and to give of ourselves until we spend the rest of eternity with Him. Now, the reason a lot of people don't live that way is because they don't really believe the gospel. They don't really believe they're going to spend all of eternity with with God. And so they're trying to live as much of heaven here on earth as they can. But I have found that that heaven on earth is walking with God, even when I'm exhausted. That is what heaven on earth is. Sometimes your prison doesn't have bars, but it is a prison nonetheless. Today, I, uh, after these changes, I do feel about 10 years younger. I do have a ways to go, but I do feel excited about where God's leading us. My workload hasn't changed. our financial situation hasn't changed. But my mindset, my perspective has. My faith, my trust, my hope has. The way I view the world has changed because of some of these disciplines. This is the story as it ends for today. And then I'm going to just leave you with a few quick things before we close today. Verse 37, just to let you know what happens after this point. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. I want to leave you with these thoughts. For those that are still on the fence thinking that if we love God, he won't give us baggage. Joseph wouldn't have gotten here without his brother's baggage. It wouldn't have happened. Whatever your baggage is, especially if you have baggage filled with shame, what if you can't get to what God's preparing without it? What if God not only lets you experience this, what if He puts you there? Because I do believe that's how God prepares people. That's how He sharpens us. That's how He quickens our faith. What if you're at where, right where you are because God is doing something? He's preparing you for something. If it weren't for His brother's baggage, if His brothers had had a really good counselor, he may still be out in the fields chasing after him. But instead, God was at work. Three things to think about and then one question. God can work to remove your baggage. He can. But often, God expects you to take disciplined steps to work through your baggage. We work together, us and God. And three, God is always, always, always working to redeem your baggage. Whatever you're carrying around, whatever's loading you down, whatever, when you pray, God, got, you've got to deliver me from this, God is going to redeem that. That's what He does. We must have faith and to trust. So here's my challenge. I've given you a challenge each week. My challenge today is this, this question. What is one discipline? What is one discipline that you can add to your life today? Not ten, not five, not even two. What is one discipline that you can add to your life today? Is it maybe God's Word for you? Is it spending more time with a community of faith? Is it taking a step that God has told you to take? What is one thing? Is it getting in the gym? I will tell you, if God's Word is not already a regular part of your day, one dis- that's your one discipline. It's your one discipline. The gym will never overcome not being in God's Word. Never. A new diet won't do that. But being in God's Word will motivate you in many other things. What is one discipline? Before you leave today, I want you to figure it out. If you need to develop that discipline throughout the day, how that's going to look, how it's going to work, how you're going to make that happen, okay. But what's one discipline that you can add to your life today and then see what God does through it? Would you pray with me? father god i thank you that you're a god of redemption that you are at work in our lives even when we question even when we feel abandoned even when we feel like we can't go anywhere we can't do anything i thank you that you're a god who gives hope to the hopeless that rescues those who feel that they are beyond rescue i thank you that your love and your heart are for those that who are oppressed and who are broken who just do not believe they can make it another day i thank you that that is where you are I pray for those that are in this room that you are calling them to wonderful, incredible things within their lives. I pray that you would give them the energy and the passion and the drive to to experience what you are behind the scenes doing right now. I pray that you would put on us each what is the discipline we need to add to our lives. What is the thing that will help keep us focused on what is good and what is right and what is true? I pray for those who... I feel like their baggage completely controls them, just like I felt like my schedule controlled me. I pray that you would help them to, to trust and to have hope that there is life beyond where they are right now. Father, I pray for those that are just going along like I was. They're just putting one step in front of the other, but they are not addressing the real problem. Father, I pray that you will help them to see what is true and what is good and what is healthy that they can take those steps to experience that. I pray that you would help me to continue to take steps that are healthy so that I can continue to follow you where you lead. Father, I pray that you would, as a community, help us to grow closer together, bearing with each other's burdens, but not just simply carrying each other's baggage. Instead, we help to liberate ourselves from that baggage. I thank you for the love of your your son who gave his life on the cross for us. Let us always be aware of what you are doing in our lives.